0: you've just entered the world of pure imagination welcome to the matrix everyone (laughs) well it's either the matrix or willy wonka's chocolate factory Uh, i'm not sure which i'll let you decide if this is a circus or an oppression (laughs) okay first of all tgif to everyone except the people who haven't followed me on instagram at SDA Um, I'm over here churning out some top quality jokes and it's your responsibility as part of the meme-loving generation to embrace laughing in all its forms. Um, and speaking of laughing, (laughs) did you guys get the presidential alert earlier this week? Uh, I was like, Trump has successfully gotten his new meme format to take off. I wonder if he'd send out an alert plugging this podcast... (laughs) Uh, well, even if he won't, I guess I can finish doing that myself. Uh, if you're not subbed on the YouTube channel or following the Facebook page, you're missing out on Wednesday videos that you don't want to be missing out on. Um, also, if you guys have feedback, suggestions, questions, comments, complaints, poems, recipes, whatever, get in touch. Uh, you can message me, of course, on any of my social media, or you can email me adventistmillennial at gmail.com. Um, millennial is spelled with two N's, by the way. I didn't know that when I tried to spell it. Um, because we live in the spell check generation, so who can blame us? Um, today we're going to talk about online dating as an Adventist in 2018. Um, so that we can all shoot ourselves. Then we're going to go down the rabbit hole. There's this recurring theme in popular storytelling that I want to pull out and assign some actual meaning to. Um, I don't really know how else to summarize it, but suffice it to say, bring all your pop culture references with you, and I'll see you on the other side of the- b- Well, 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 here we are. The dreaded dating scene of 2018, uh, which everyone single our age likes to lament about, but I can't tell if adding being an Adventist on top of being single makes it worse or better. Because, of course, the trope we've always laughed at is that you go to Adventist college to get an Adventist spouse, and then you live your happy little Adventist life with your happy little Adventist veggie meat. Um, but the problem now is that not only are we all leaving the church, we're leaving Adventist education, we're leaving getting married to later in life, and we're leaving our dirty clothes on the floor, presumably. Um, so for those of you who are already married, bully for you. Uh, your punishment for being that competent is being subjected to the rest of us complaining about still being single at 28. Okay. Here's what the scene looks like right now. You're either, you meet someone at work, nope. Uh, church? Not likely. Through friends? Uh, what friends? Uh, or online? Ugh. So, what do you guys think? Is dating harder or easier as an Adventist? I'm not really sure on this. Um, you could make the argument that it's harder because it narrows the pool of candidates a lot, but then on the other hand, you could also make the argument that shared Adventism helps because it also narrows the pool of candidates a lot. If you read the book, uh, Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari, okay, I know, chill out this was before his Me Too thrashing when he still had credibility. (laughs) Sorry, I tried to sell you having credibility, Aziz, but if the shoe doesn't fit. Um, anyway, in the book, he said that millennials, because we have such an infinite number of choices via Tinder, OkCupid, Coffee Meets Bagel, what have you, um, we basically get fatigued having to wade through these gigantic numbers of possibilities. But then, at the same time, we're more likely to pick someone we actually want to spend a lifetime with than previous generations because we keep searching until we find the exact person rather than, like, marrying Jim Bob from down the street because there's no one else to be found. I don't have a great answer on this, obviously, because I'm still in the thick of it myself. Uh, Let's be honest, I've only dipped my toe in the water of online dating and it's already given me a dastardly chill. Okay, but first, I think my parents listened to this hi mom and dad disclaimer, I don't think you know about any of this, so get your smelling salts ready to revive yourself when you faint on your couch. (laughs) I'm just kidding, it's barely any tea to spill, fam. Uh, basically, there are two options for online dating if you're an Adventist. Regular online dating or Adventist online dating. Uh, The people that you meet on Adventist online dating sites are, well, it's hard to tell because those sites are like our bank accounts, empty AF. Um, They are very, not very populated, um, at least in my experience, so you don't actually meet a lot of people Um, and then if you do meet some people, they're very rarely local. So, that's been a bust. Um, does anybody else have experience with specifically Adventist online dating? Um, I'm interested to know. Then, as far as regular dating sites go, I've met some interesting people, I guess. Uh, there's this one guy who was a Hindu, and when I told him that there are major worldview differences (laughs) between Christianity and Hinduism that affect how a person lives their life, he was like, What? I can't possibly imagine a scenario where me being a Hindu and you being a Christian could present any kind of problem whatsoever in any way. Okay, dude, great talk, thank you, bye. And then there are the guys that get mad at you or whatever for not being, I guess, the projection of what they have in their mind and say things like, I need positive people who have no trust issues and who don't carry baggage around me, like, in reaction to a handshake. (laughs) I don't know, you guys. It's brutal out there in 2018. Um, and then there's the question of whether you have to marry another Adventist. I think for Gen X and, and back, probably that was the given. Now, I think it's not as important to millennials, I guess, because so many of us leave the church ourselves anyway. Uh, what do you guys think? Would your parents gasp if you married a non-Adventist? Would you gasp? Um, I'm interested in people's thoughts on this. I mean, that's all. I have no wisdom. Basically, this is just a lament of commiseration for all the other singles out there who feel my pain. Um, send me your crazy dating stories and experiences. I would love to hear them. Okay, now we're gonna talk about something scary. The unknown. The upside down. Or maybe it's the right side up, depending on how you look at it and whether you have a spare string of Christmas lights lying around. Uh, now, I'll be honest, I have only watched The Matrix once, um, and that was when I was, like, 15, so I don't remember all the details of the plot, but I do remember the red pill scene. And if you're into internet culture, you know the red pill has been co-opted for a lot of different things, and it represents having your eyes opened to truth, basically. If you've seen The Matrix, you probably remember this. Uh, Neo is about to find out So, this is the narrative that I want to talk about. It shows up a lot in storytelling. <clears throat> it's the idea that you don't see reality, you're lied to, you're a slave. Um, a common way it's referenced today is politically. If you wake up to some idea that you've never considered before, they say you're red pilled. For example, The Red Pill Movie is a documentary by Cassie J, in which she, as a feminist, set out to pinion men's rights uh, activists, basically, and in the process of doing this documentary, she felt like she got red-pilled and had her eyes opened to things she'd never considered before. Um, but I'm not necessarily talking about political red-pilling here. I'm talking about a philosophical paradigm shift. Um, something like in The Matrix, where you realize your whole construct for reality has been a lie, and once you realize it, you can never go back. So after Morpheus tells Neo that there's no going back from the Matrix, he asks him if he's ready to take the plunge.
1: Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. All I'm offering is the truth, nothing more.
0: And of course, the idea is that if you're not willing to shift your paradigm, you can just go back to sleep. um, Back to living in constructed reality because it's easier. It's not as much responsibility. Okay, so there are some other places you can see this concept in stories. Of course, another one is Alice in Wonderland. Morpheus even references going down the rabbit hole. In Alice in Wonderland, uh, Alice goes down the rabbit hole into this world that was only of a wisp of a dream from her childhood. Uh, it's the same idea of living unaware of a completely different existence. She's reminded of something that she knew deep in the recesses of her mind um, was out there, but she was never able to grasp onto it until she went down the rabbit hole and relived it. Okay, so then you go down the list. Um, C.S. Lewis has some really great illustrations of the blue pill, which is basically willful ignorance that holds people back from the incredible beauty of things they could see if they were only able to let go of their assumptions and look with clear eyes. In the book The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is one of the seven Narnia books, um, the whole Narnia gang basically comes to an island where they get kidnapped by these invisible creatures. Um, and then after plenty of hijinks in which the invisible dufflepuds explain that a horrible evil wizard lives in the mansion on the island, um, the gang is obviously afraid to meet the wizard. But then when they actually meet him, it turns out that he's a kind wizard. The creatures were his servants, but they were so foolish that every time he tried to help them, they became more and more sure and suspicious he was a tyrant trying to oppress them, um, until eventually they had completely convinced themselves that that was true and he was evil. And as an outside observer, it's easy to see how foolish the Duffelpuds were because, of course, for them, no amount of reason could sway their perceptions because they were so completely invested in the construction of reality that they'd built for themselves, um, that to give it up would mean completely shifting their paradigm. Then you have the dwarfs in the last battle. Um, they're different from the Duffelpuds in that while the Duffelpuds deluded themselves for no justified reason, uh, the dwarves in the last battle actually have a good reason to be, to disbelieve. Uh, they thought Aslan, who is the creator and ruler in the Narnian universe, had tyrannized them. The only problem was that it wasn't Aslan. It was a false impersonator of Aslan that oppressed them and ruined their perception of who Aslan was. Then, when the, the Narnia gang came and saved the dwarfs from this shed where they had been locked up by the fake Aslan, um, they were unable to see that they had been rescued. They continued believing that they were being deceived, even though the impostor was gone and no longer had any hold over them. So they were so embittered to the idea of Aslan, so damaged by the impersonator's portrayal of Aslan, that they were permanently hostile and determined never to be taken in by anyone ever. Which, of course, meant that they couldn't trust anyone ever. Um, and then they had to blind themselves to their surroundings in order to maintain the delusion. The scene I always remember from listening to the dramatized audio story, shout out, focus on the family, um, is the one where they're rescued from their prison, but they think it's still pitch black and cramped and smelly in a stable, um, but they're not. They're free. They can't see the trees or the sky or anything around them. When someone tries to give them a flower, they think it's stable crap. Um, and in this version of the red pill narrative, um, they weren't born into it like Neo. They didn't impose it on themselves out of idiocy like the Duffelpuds. Um, they're so traumatized by their oppressed experience that they're unwilling to receive any help or to see what reality really is. Okay, one more. If you ever watched the show Alias with Jennifer Garner, um, this is one of my favorite iterations of this theme. Sydney Bristow is, she thinks, a CIA agent, um, but when she makes the mistake of telling her fiancé that she works for the CIA, they kill him. Um and then she finds out that she'd actually been working for a terrorist organization <laughs> that steals intelligence and weapons and undermines the actual CIA. So, as you can imagine, she's, she's rattled by this discovery and she has to come to terms with the fact that she's believed she was working for the CIA when she was really working against the CIA unknowingly. Um, then she also has to reckon with the idea of becoming a double agent and still having to play along and get along with the people who deceived her. This one impacts me because not only was her whole paradigm shattered when she discovered she wasn't working for the CIA, she she found out she was actually working against the people she thought she was aligned with. Okay, so now I hope you have an idea of this red pill concept. The idea that in order to find out what the matrix is, you have to be willing to take the red pill. You have to realize, going in, That everything you thought was true will shatter and your world will tilt on its axis because you have to do it if you want to see reality. Um, I also hope, assuming you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, that you can see where I'm going with this. For all our Adventist scare doctrine about deception waiting around every corner and we have to be vigilant and on the alert for devil tactics... Uh, I think the sad reality is that Adventist and Christian in general, doctrine is a little bit like the duffelpuds. puds. It's pretty fanciful at times and unnecessarily tyrannical most of the time. But of course, this in itself is not the red pill because none of you are surprised by that, right? Realizing that we often get it wrong in our theology somehow is just neo-knowing about the matrix. But knowing our doctrine can be twisted doesn't necessarily untwist it. Because as Morpheus says, in order to understand the matrix, you have to see it. You have to actually take the red pill, go down the rabbit hole, see the flower being handed to you, and realize that maybe you're working for SD6 instead of the CIA. That is the scary part. That's the part that hangs us all up. We don't like it. Our human instinct is to run from it, to give in to the blindness that lets us off the hook. Because the red pill is knowledge and it's freedom, but at the same time, it's a great weight of responsibility. The serpent in the garden wanted Eve to believe that she was taking the red pill when she ate the apple, but boy, that sure wasn't a red pill. (laughs) That was an explosive. It was the blue pill to end all blue pills. It ensured that every generation after Eve would be born into Neo's reality where they had to fight and claw to know what the Matrix was and to see what was actually happening in the dim fog of the world that we live in. So now, do you want the red pill, or do you would you rather take the blue pill? Um, okay, what if I told you that I already offered you the red pill? <laughs> Did you take it? Uh, episode four, the most important thing, in my mind, is the red pill. It's the Grey Controversy. But wait a minute, you say. Um, how is that the red pill? Adventists believe the Grey Controversy. Well, to that I would say, do Adventists actually believe the great controversy the way that it is? Does it red pill people? Because let me tell you, I can think of maybe four people who would describe the great controversy in a way that would be so earth-shattering t- a red pill to, as to reconstruct your whole reality. Because even though we say we buy into it, um, so many times the tyranny of a vengeful God is still woven in. Um, and then a lot of Adventists, to be honest, just don't even really know what the Doctrine of the Great Controversy is. But tell me, what is the point of God going through all of this ages-long kerfuffle, defending his benevolent character, only to confirm that he's a tyrant at the end of it by killing everyone who didn't like the outcome? that smells an awful lot like calling for a week-long FBI investigation into sexual assault allegations and then throwing a tantrum when the investigation doesn't (laughs) say what you want it to say. Um, okay, I'll give you a minute to lick your wound if you just felt the barb I tossed. The part of the great controversy that red pills people, I believe, is the part that most people will not accept, because it is the red pill. Um, the part that says God is 100% for freedom for all his creations, full stop. The reason why that's an earth-shattering paradigm shift is because from the moment we're born, we're conditioned to believe that we can't and shouldn't be completely in control of our own will. As children, we submit our will to our parents. In school, our will is bent to our teachers. At work, our will is bent to our employer. In society, our will is bent to the collective. At church, our will is bent to a god that will accept nothing less. Um, and maybe that's tyrannical But then on the other hand, maybe it's safer, it's easier because if you're submitting to someone else, you're not responsible for your own will. Your actions, your character, your decisions can all on some level be passed off on someone else and the blue pill is choosing to give up your free will. Um, to avoid the responsibility of freedom. The blue pill is to shut your eyes to how badly you could screw it up if you were free to make your own choices and handing your will over to someone else. Because freedom is the open sea with sharks where it's your responsibility and only yours to get out alive and not to sink your own ship in the process. That's the scary part. The beautiful part is that freedom is so much more fulfilling. It's so... You might say, freeing. (laughs) And though God wants nothing more than our free will, He also wants to give us a hand up if we're willing to accept it, and He wants to have a real relationship with us, one that we choose to have because we see the beauty of how He constructed our reality. The generosity of giving us real freedom, the risk He took in giving us responsibility over our own lives, the risk He took in giving us autonomy, that's the red pill the life-altering realization that the battle we're in every single day is freedom versus coercion. The great experiment to test God's law of love is an exercise of free will, fighting against the constant pressure to submit by everything coercive. So, with this idea, if you're not already hopelessly free-falling down the rabbit hole, um, let me give you a little kick in the seat of your pants as you peer over the edge. So, about this great controversy that I keep talking about, this grand experiment to test the hypothesis of freedom as the best reality, Uh, well, have you ever considered the experiment within the experiment? The pink pill is the shot and the red pill is the chaser. If you can handle both, listen on. So in traditional Adventist uh, prophetic interpretation, the lamb-like beast of Revelation 13.11 is the United States. The idea traditionally is that the U.S. comes up in power and eventually enforces the agenda of the beast, which is the Catholic Church. Um, well, okay. If you've had your pink pill shot and you see the battle as over freedom versus oppression rather than obedience versus disobedience, as in worship on Saturday or get the mark of the beast, this will become clear. The lamb-like beast, or the U.S., is the experiment within the experiment. In fact, it's often been called the American experiment. Um... And what was so experimental about the founding of the United States was the idea that everyone would be as free as they could possibly be, taking into account the protection of other people's ability to also be free. This had never been tried on Earth, ever, uh, because Eve took the blue pill. World history shows us that cultures and societies have always had some kind of coercive government or monarchy or oligarchy. So, as you can imagine, the incredible success and thriving of this attempt at freedom really, really irks Lucifer. The United States is, is the richest and most powerful and freest country in the world, and that does not, bode well for the experiment because it shows that even within his rigged experiment, uh, where humanity is blinded to the real stakes of the game, where we're all fallen in nature and selfish, everyone is predisposed to be selfish, freedom was still the best way to live. Now, I know a lot of people are going to take issue with this because of the growing popular idea that The United States is not all that free or not all that great, but we're getting to that. So, Lucifer wants to put the kibosh on this experiment within the experiment by corrupting and twisting it as much as he can to force everyone back into submission. And this is why we see our culture crumbling before our eyes. We see the mobs of Sodom springing up everywhere to coerce everyone into submission. And we see a lot of ideas coming up that undermine the idea that America is free or that freedom is a good thing. So, at the point when our freedoms are completely stripped away from us, the people who refuse to submit their free will will get killed. The beastly power isn't just the Catholic Church forcing Sunday worship on people, um, though that is certainly beastly if that were to happen. It's anything that uses force to strip humans of our autonomy and our free choice. Okay, so what do you guys think? Do you agree? Disagree? Did you take the red pill? Do you wish there was no such thing as a freaking red pill because now you have to take responsibility for your own will? Um, I think that almost every day and I constantly have to remake the choice to choose to be selfless over selfish because that's the only way to not end up coercing or being coerced. So, send me an email if you have responses or questions or if you want to beat me into submission or, you know, send memes, whatever. AdventistMillennial at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes if you enjoy this and have a great Sabbath of your own free will, guys.